Coming up today on Abounding Grace. We're reminded today of the power of one. The power of one in your life and mine. You are so important to God. Listening to me now, whether you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ or you are in rebellion against Jesus Christ, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It is not a biblical truth to say that God only loves some people and he doesn't love others. He demonstrated his love for us with Jesus Christ paying the price for our sins. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad you've joined us as we get back to our study of John's Gospel. We draw your attention to a touching scene. Jesus is on a Roman cross and undergoing more pain than we can imagine. And yet, he's thinking of caring for others, specifically his mom, as he tells John to care for her. There's a lesson in there for us, and here to draw that out is Pastor Ed. If you're new to our fellowship here, we go through the Bible when we teach, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which means when we start a book of the Bible, we're going to go all the way through and end the book of the Bible. And the topics that we cover, the topics that we cover will come from the text. And on occasion, we do have these topical series, which we will probably have after we finish the Gospel of John, before we get into the book of Hebrews. But for the most part, we go through the Bible together, and we're in John chapter 19, Picking up in verse 25, where we left off last time, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross as this unfolds. And artists throughout the centuries have tried to capture the intensity and the agony and the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. Maybe even in your own imagination, you have attempted to try to think through, man, what did it look like and what would it must have been? And yet everything that we come up with falls short of the intense agony and pain that Jesus is going through in the last breaths of his earthly life. And the scene unfolds in these final breaths with his mom there, standing with other women and John. Don't you love how John always describes himself in verse 26? He is, he wants us to make sure that we understand that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he describes Peter, he says, that's Peter. And when he describes other people, he calls them by name. But when he describes himself, he doesn't say me. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is an episode of love where Jesus entrusts the care of his mom to the man that loves him and the man that he loves. 
In these final moments, under intense pain and agony, Jesus is thinking of others. I mean, really, in the totality of his time hanging on the cross, the weight of the heart of Jesus in his mind is for others. Forgiveness and love and care. History tells us and tradition says that Mary did go home with John to live for another 11 years. First in Jerusalem, then in the city of Ephesus. And after another 11 years, Mary dies and joins her son and savior in eternity. Now I know for some of you to hear those words conflict with the way you were raised. Because in the Roman Catholic Church, there is that doctrine that is not biblical that says that Mary never died. She did die. She died and her sins were forgiven by the very son that she bore, hanging on the cross before her now. And she did die and enter into eternity to live forever with God. Now I'm sure when you read the Bible, and if you don't, I would encourage you to personalize it. As you're reading through, it's not just a history of something that happened 2,000 years ago, and it's not just Jesus and his mom, but I want you, as you're reading through the scriptures, to picture yourself in the true story that you're reading. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally and practically and powerfully in what you are reading. And as I was going through this text and praying over it, I have to say that this passage is very convicting for me. Now, I have to say, it's not convicting in one way, but it is convicting in another way. My parents have gone on to be with the Lord. They have, has their, have their homecoming along with my son and many others in our family in the presence of the Lord, saved by faith, forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. My parents have passed on. But in the last few years of their lives, as they were getting ill uh, in Southern California, we would call often and say, hey, would you guys just come live with us? Would you just come move out here? We'll take good care of you and take care of all of your needs and all you just come out and live with us. And my dad at the time said, no, son, we're going to stay out here. We're going to make a go of it. Thank you very much for your offer, but no thank you. And, and he got ill and moved on and passed on into eternity. As I was, some of you guys were with us, I kept making trips back and forth to go take care of him. And when my dad passed on, my mom, we really, really said, mom, you got to come out. I mean, we'll take care of you. We'll build out our basement and we'll make it a little apartment for you. And we even talked to her about getting that chair, you know, that chair on the stairs, you know, and put it on the stairs. And I could already see her, you know, getting up the stairs because she had a hard time with the stairs. And she said, no, son, it's not going to happen. And I was making trips back and forth to take care of her. And, and finally, um, she passed on and went on to be with the Lord. So I'm not convicted in the sense that I'm ready to take care of my parents because at any moment, man, that, that, is, that was our heart desire. Marie and I agreed on that years and years and years ago while they were still healthy. But I'll tell you how I am convicted. When I read this text and I try to imagine in my mind watching it, when I'm in pain and agony or difficulty, caring for others isn't always my first response. Thinking of others isn't, my always, isn't always my first response. As a matter of fact, the, the, the more difficult the situation, it seems as if the more I think of myself, more and others less. Where, where pain can just pull you out of the moment. I mean, suffering and pain has an absorbing quality to it. It, it has the power to so easily make you and me self-absorbed. 
in the difficulties that are upon us. Self rises up very rapidly and very quickly to satisfy self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, self-absorption. Everything about self is, is inflamed during a time of great difficulty. And God can see, be so easily dethroned in our lives in the midst of pain. It's hard to think that in the middle of going through something difficult to think of anyone or anything else. And your mind will just run and run and run. And before you know it, you're no longer in the moment. And, and you are overwhelmed, not just by the situation, but by all the sinful decisions that come with it. I think of Job. Job is that man that we're given in the scriptures to see insight in a very real way to the pain in someone's life. And Job was, was at such a downtime in his life that he cursed the very day that he was born. I mean, he lost everything. He was described as a very just man, praying for his kids that seemed to not be walking with the Lord, and he lost his business, he lost his possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health. I mean, in, 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 in extraordinary, dramatic ways. And I can understand, he would just get, man, why was I ever born to go through this? His wife, we get a little bit of insight in his wife. His wife experienced the same losses with the exception of the sickness, but the man that she loves and the man that she serves is going through great sickness. You know, the sores were so bad that he was scraping them with pieces of, of pottery. I mean, he, he, this family was under intense attack, and what was her heart in the midst of all this? She told Job to curse God and die. Jesus, in the last breaths of his life, is filled with the love of the Father, pleasing the Father here. And in this text, I find both encouragement and conviction. Encouraged to see that it's possible. Jesus shows us a better way. He shows us a better way in our pain. The first response was love for those that he cared for, especially his mom. But what a blessing it would be for John as well to take care of his mom and to be available. We don't get the tenderness in the English translation here because of the words that are used. You know, his mother. And in our culture, mother is more of a technical word, more of a, more of a word that's used formally for our moms. My, I'm growing up, I call my mom, mom. You may have had a word that you used to describe your mom. And in some cases, it might have been mother. It was a very formal relationship. Uh, it says here that when Jesus saw his mother, and then you come to verse 26, and he says, woman, behold your son. I mean, it all depends on how you read this. But the word, the word for woman is not some mean-spirited. It's actually tender and close. This is a very intimate moment, besides the fact that Jesus is beaten beyond recognition shedding his blood for the sins of those that were in front of him. It's a very tender moment. He says, take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. Here's your son, and here's your mom. And he says, from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You can jot it down in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Just don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love, serve one another. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We're not an institution or a location. This happens to be a gathering place of the church. The building isn't the church. And there is great joy and great freedom that's expressed when we love and serve one another, when we take care of one another. 
when we get involved in each other's lives and serve in a way where through love that we're serving one another, sacrificing ourselves. What a sacrifice it must have been for John to take responsibility of someone else's mom. And here he is on the cross, fulfilling prophecy as we've seen in the previous weeks. There's so much being fulfilled so much being fulfilled in the life of Jesus and those around him that was predicted so many years prior. Let me give you an example. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Simeon because we have a lot to learn from Simeon. Come back with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, when Simeon meets Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2. Pick up with me in verse 25 as we read, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the salvation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, you may not use that language today. He was promised by God, revealed by the Holy Spirit, that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And now that we know who Messiah is, he would not die until he saw the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. That was God's promise to him. And he came, verse 27, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon spent a majority of his life waiting to see with his own eyes Messiah. It wasn't just a distant promise from the scriptures, but God came to him and said, you're going to see him personally, and you're going to see him before you die. And God gave him a promise. What did he do with the promise? He lived it. He didn't just believe it. He just didn't receive it. He lived it. And I can imagine him at the temple area being very careful to look at every baby and young child that came in the area just to be able to look and make sure and check in. Is this the one? Is this the one? He waited for the promise. He wanted the promise. He was watching for the promise. Which brings to us a question today. And it's very simple, and it needs to be asked, and it's this. How do you respond to the promises of God in your life? Do you allow God's promises to change you? I mean, you're reading through the scriptures and God gives you a scripture. Somebody sends you a promise that God is with you. Uh, fear not. On and on the list goes of promise after promise after promise of God. And what do you do? Because I've met people that can quote the promises of God. And, and they're really good with saying, yeah, God gave me this. And, God, and they're quoting the promises of God. I've even met people that would stand on the promises of God. Where if a difficult time comes, they'll come back and go, you know, I know God gave this to me years ago. I've met people that can sing the promises of God as we sing scriptures or the truths throughout the songs that we're led in or the music that we listen to. But I've also met people that quote the, the promises, stand on the promises, sing the promises, and act on them. That's the key. To act on the promises of God. 
to walk in the strength of the Lord. Simeon teaches us that when God gives us a promise, it will come to pass, whether we wait on it or not. But as he's waiting and watching and working and living and expecting, he sees Messiah. And he's so excited. Now, he says, you're letting me depart in peace. I've seen your salvation. And then notice verse 33. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, this baby does grow up, this child. He grows up to the time where we are in John 19 to hang on a Roman cross. And it's true, his life would cause many to rise and many to fall. Who would be the ones that rise? The ones that place their faith in him and trust him for the forgiveness of their sins. They, really, we, we use the phrase forgiveness of sins because it's huge, but, but here's what you're trusting him. You're trusting him with your life. It is an all-in decision. There are benefits of this trust, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of guilt and shame, purpose and direction. There are many benefits, but our surrender is not for the benefits. Our surrender is because of love. Because of love. Many rise and fall. Who falls? Well, those that reject him. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the, under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And yet the Bible also says that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Notice the next thing in verse 35 of Luke 2. He says this in parentheses. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, Joseph and Mary are there, but who is Simeon speaking to? Well, it says in verse 34 that he's talking to Mary. And he's telling Mary, God's going to use your boy, going to do dramatic things. People are, lives are going to be changed. Nations are going to be saved. Forgiveness is going to flow. And for you, Mary, a sword's going to go through your heart. And here Mary is watching her son on the cross in the final hours of his life. Whether it happened at this moment or it's been the whole time, whether it represents a, a moment in time or it represents a long period of time, here Mary has the greatest pain that she's ever experienced in her life. We know that there's going to be a literal sword put into the side of Jesus not too long from now, back in John 19. But here's another prophecy, another prediction that God brought to pass in the life of Mary. No doubt a hard thing to hear and an even harder thing to experience. She didn't know what it meant when he said it, but would soon understand. Here she is at the foot of the cross, experiencing the greatest pain that she's ever had in her entire life up to this point. So Jesus, back in John 19, he is caring for his mom, setting an example for us, in great agony and pain, in torturous difficulty, love is flowing, caring for his mom, handing her over to the care of the apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved. John took her home to care for her. It's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you a question. In caring for Jesus' mom, how many people did Jesus need? You can yell it out. How many people do you think he needed to take care of his mom? I say just one. Just one. 
He chose just one. He chose one person to take care of his mom, even though there were other people there. There was her sister there. There were other women there. It's striking that Jesus doesn't choose his own half-brothers and sisters to take care of their mom. He entrusts them to this disciple, to John, a new spiritual family. And by the way, Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 13, uh, did have half-brothers and half-sisters. Mary and Joseph came together in regular marital relations and had other children. But they weren't chosen. Neither was her sister standing there next to her. It was, it was John. And all he needed was one. And we're reminded today of the power of one. The power of one in your life and mine. You are so important to God. Listening to me now, whether you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ or you are in rebellion against Jesus Christ, God loves you. And he sent son, his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It is not a biblical truth to say that God only loves some people and he doesn't love others. He demonstrated his love for us with Jesus Christ paying the price for our sins. He demonstrated his love for us that even when we were still yet dead in our trespasses and sins, or another place it talks about Jesus Christ dying for the ungodly, love was proven and demonstrated for you and for me. God loves you. Maybe you really needed to hear that today. God loves you, and it's true. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from the Gospel of John. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And look for us on Apple Podcasts. Well, Pastor Ed, I love this passage. Jesus taking time out to care for his mom even while he's in unbearable pain on the cross. Now, let's bring this down to a practical level as we close. How might our listeners follow Jesus' example even here during the Christmas season? Well, you know, Larry, Jesus is the epitome, of course, of our example in which to follow, an example of selflessness and sacrifice. So when I think of Jesus taking care of his mom, I think immediately of his heart to please the Father in selflessness and sacrificial love. So I think the obvious thing right away is, if you haven't spoken to your mom or dad or in a while, reach out to them. Text them, call them, send them a note. If you're close, show up. If you're estranged, pray about reconnecting, that the Holy Spirit might use this time to step into other people's lives, especially those that are closest to us. And so you can take that and say, hey, look, I want to make sure my mom's taken care of. I know this was very important to me when my mom and dad were still alive. Uh, and then after my dad passed away, really wanted to take care of my mom, which we did. And now, of course, with my wife's side of the family where uh, her mom's husband passed away, we are completely committed to taking care of her as much as needed and possible to the point of sacrifice and selflessness. And so can I just encourage you during this time that you might respond in a practical way with, if it's not family, you know, if your family's all tied up and perfect and exactly where it needs to be, then how about somebody at work? How about a neighbor that you notice? Maybe someone that you've connected with at church, a widow or widower, someone that's hurting, be very practical and think of others more highly than yourself around this Christmas season and God will honor it and you'll be blessed.
All right, some great ideas there. Thanks, Ed. Here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make for a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in that manger the first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also, remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to the radio every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and the world at a time in human history when they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.